0: two one howdy and welcome to the three true outcomes podcast presented by baseball prospectus i'm your host ian lefkowitz and joining me as always from suburban michigan is ben Murphy. ben how are you doing
1: i'm doing well ian how are you
0: i'm doing great ben did we or did we not just record an introduction that was in fact too bad to air it was two minutes of terrible podcasting I know. You would think, how could this, an introduction, get screwed up that badly? Just you wait. Um, But joining us, as always, from our nation's capital, it's Jared Weiss. Jared, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, no, that was um, really astonishing. So we're a little out of practice, but we're catching up. And uh, we have a really exciting uh, show for you today. I think we are going to be doing a uh, draft recap. We're going to get right into it. Um, We are recording right after the MLB draft. And... um, I just want to be clear, we are recapping the draft as the way only we can do it. Um, after that, we'll take some questions, and then um, we'll get out of here. It should be a short one. Um, but, yeah, so we have just finished watching the MLB draft. and the first, the
2: first round of the draft.
0: The first round of the draft, I'm sorry. Not the whole thing. Um, and, well, I you know, it's always, uh, it is my favorite day of the year. I don't know how you feel. Of, of the base. Calendar, which is the only calendar, yeah. The baseball calendar uh, is the real calendar. It is. Um, Jared. Well, how do you feel about the MLB draft?
2: Fantastic! It was the best draft ever. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, when when I say that uh, we are draft heads, I just want to be ex- really explicit about what is going on here. Yes, we are not fans of like the MLB draft in the sense of like. The players and, like, knowing who is on which team and who is mm-hmm. going where. How could you be? No, you can go to other podcasts for that advice, for sure. Although, actually, you could also come back next week for our podcast, <laughs> where we will not be doing that. But this, this podcast is going to talk about MLB Draft, the production. Oh, it's glorious. Which is uh, easily my favorite highlight of the year. We're about 30 to 60... Um, production staffers uh, failed mlb players uh, current mlb players ex mlb players are stuffed into a van in Secaucus with a bunch of awkward children and forced to make television for 3 hours it's um, great it is you know i cuz not everyone has watched the mlb draft right so i, haven't.
2: I don't i don't understand
0: why not right i <laughs> um but i i feel like our audience probably a lot of people have watched the nfl draft and are using that as like the barometer or maybe the nba draft
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so imagine that but like take all the production value out yeah and it's uh, like if you can
2: imagine a newscast like say just a broadcast news or whatever imagine that and then compare it to say like, high school television. there, uh, the dude, like high schoolers are
1: way better than these MLB guys. <laughs> so I don't watch the MLB draft. Um, yeah. And when I first tuned in, one of the analyst dudes had a camera pointed at his face, and he was looking, like, literally 90 degrees away and 90 degrees down from the camera. It was like there was something on his shoe that was the thing he was supposed to be staring at while he talked about players. It's, it's very.
2: Good. How about like high school movie from the two thousands version of the announcements? Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I exactly. I think or right if the NFL draft was directed by like Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> 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 um. So you have it. You like have it all. You have like people trapped in weird uh, sub, like rooms, often like dungeons, off in the corner. You have. Uh, Like, kids who don't really know what's going on Hosts who don't really know what's going on Um, You have, like, clip reels that seem to be brought in almost entirely randomly (laughs) Like, perhaps by some, like, stochastic god Who none of us can really understand or follow Um, But how did this draft stack up to other drafts? And again, I want to be clear We're not talking about the players That's next week I'm talking about the actual draft itself
2: I think it was exactly the same as all of them cuz it never changes.
0: <laughs> That's true. They just come back to the same room every year. It's
2: the exact same there's, there's no improvement whatsoever. I don't understand. They put zero effort into souping anything up.
0: Um so I I just want to get into some specifics here. So uh you know, well, let's go around and ask like uh Ben, this is your first time uh watching or perhaps one of your first times watching. Yeah. Uh, I might have watched
1: part? it like 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, what was your favorite part of this year's draft? Um,
1: In the moments leading up to the first pick, I was trying to explain to my wife why I was watching. Sure. And so I had to explain that the Orioles had the first pick and that there was, like, a guy that everybody sort of agreed was the player that they should take and how we were all pretty sure that they weren't going to do that because it made sense and why that was something that was, like, Infinitely amusing to us. Um, and she critically, f- f- like, forgot for a moment that Jared's an Orioles fan. Um, she, of course, knows Jared extremely well, but uh, apparently somehow forgot the, like, one most intrinsically true thing of Jared. Um, and so the, my favorite part of the draft was the realization on her face when she realized why it was funny that the Orioles were not going to take the player that they should. And then, uh, the relief on her face when she heard that adler <laughs> rushman was in fact the guy that they should take and they hadn't bungled it after all yeah uh, so she felt
0: happy for jared in that moment right so the thing that does make this the best draft ever is that the orioles were on the hook and rumors were like swirling that they were about to blow literally the first pick <laughs> <laughs> of a draft where remember you can't trade players yep. so they had literally choice of everybody about to blow the first pick. What? Um, so do you want to walk me through your feelings of the Adley Rushman pick, how, how that went?
2: Um, sure. And I'll preface it by saying, so as I was, I remember this like very distinctly as I was walking back home, I was coming in through the door to my building and I realized that the, like, the two words that announced tonight, the player that they pick could like, in a serious way, like serious and meaningful, way more than it should be, like change my life over the next 15 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So there's a lot writing on this thing, for me, at least, personally. I guess other people, too. I don't know. Um, and just, and like, I mean, deep down, if you ask me, I would have said, yeah, they're probably taking out their regimen. But I knew there was such a good chance they weren't. And so when, when I heard his name announced, it was just relief, I think, was the feeling that most of all that I felt, like, thank goodness they didn't screw it up. Maybe, maybe, I mean, the closest thing was back when they drafted Matt Wieters. That was the closest thing that I felt like, I guess.
1: i'm surprised there weren't more uh comps to matt weeders <laughs> during the draft it looks like we might have lost ian um ian are you there with us to make jokes about comps between edley rutchman and matt Weeters as college catchers that the orioles drafted and will fail to develop into major leaguers and then go on to play somewhere else and be successful
2: <laughs> i think you just made the joke for him
1: ian yeah i had to because he's gone <laughs> we're only eight minutes in folks uh if you thought i was gonna drive the train on the mlb draft coverage oh. you're sorely mistaken i haven't uh,
2: listened to you talk for 20 minutes
1: on the mlb draft. <laughs> uh so the other thing that i was thinking about mentioning is that uh, i was watching it on my ipad on like the streaming through the browser or whatever And I guess you guys were watching on TV or had, like, actually loaded up on time. Um, And so our group chat's blowing up with you guys reacting to the debacles and hilarity about, you know, like, 10 or 15 seconds before it actually happened on my iPad. So I knew exactly when to tune in because I would get something there, like... Mickey Tettleton with an exclamation mark. And then I'd be like, oh, wow, I wonder how, like, how is Mickey Tettleton relevant to this? Like, this is going to be great. Uh, and then there's Carlos Pena making a comp uh, to Mickey Tettleton with some guy with a level swing plane or whatever. Um, you know, there's like
0: dozens of examples of that. Uh,
1: you know, interviewers asking the same question over and over, etc.
0: Sorry. I am back and thanks for covering. Um, so I have a bunch of things that were really uh sorry I, we're all I, out like, of time
1: ian we missed you and uh filled all the draft coverage uh, it's, <laughs> no, time, it's, it's time to move on now
0: it's a real shame so I have, I have a bunch of comments um so first about the uh mickey tettleton comps so we have to talk about the comp list this year because the yes. comp list is my favorite part of the mlb draft so so we've had a number of iterations of the MLB draft we've been around for a bunch um and i would say this is one of the big biggest changes in the MLB draft a setup where again nothing changes and nothing ever improves um but we did we did notice a big trend this year i have to say
2: mm-hmm. uh
0: which is somebody in the staff meeting at some point said you have to stop comparing everybody to willie mays yeah
2: yeah no, I mean, in past years, there's, this guy's going to be Willie Mays, and I guess maybe if he doesn't quite make it, he might turn out to just be Hank Aaron. Right. I think he was going to be first ballot Hall of Famer. That was the only comp that was available.
0: Yeah. And then, so off the bat, the first player that got comped was uh, CJ Abrams, I think. And uh, they gave two comps. The first one was Gerard Dyson, and the second one was uh, Billy Hamilton. And then I went, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he's fast. Cause that's not good. But it turns out they were just comping everybody. We had a, a Tommy LaStella comp, we had a Mark Razlonic comp, um Mickey Tettleton, um are, are there any that I'm missing? There were there were a bunch yeah. of really Patrick
1: Mahomes. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, yes. Did you mention <laughs> that, that Tommy LaStella famous... already?
0: a famous baseball player, Patrick Mahomes, who Bobby Witt Jr. was comp to. Um, And, yeah, so somebody obviously said in the staff meeting, like, just realistic comps. And then they went, okay, gotcha. And then they went, like, right past realistic and into, like, depressing.
1: No taking. I mean, if I could play devil's advocate for a second, I think, so the other question that Christina asked me was, like, how many of these guys make the majors and how likely are they to be successful? And like, if they do make the majors, especially, you know, like the top end of the first round, how long will it take them to get there? Um, And I think comping new draftees to guys that had a major league career at all is in a way a compliment. So it's not really that um, depressing.
0: No, No, that's great. Like, again, if I was, if my expectations were set normally, and someone was like, "Shea Langoliers is the new Austin Hedges." I'd be like, "Okay, that sounds cool." But again, we had come from a world where everyone was being comp to like Mickey Mantle, and then all of a sudden it's like Austin Hedges. So, <laughs> I guess it's just I, I didn't have my expectations set properly.
2: Yeah, it raises a good question. Though. Like, what is the purpose of a comp in, in terms of uh, understanding who a, a draft pick is? Is it you know the ceiling? Is it the median? Is it You know, what's a reasonable thing? I don't know what's most helpful there.
0: Usually it is to find a player of the same race and run (laughs) the same size.
2: Well, and that's I mean, that gets back into the analysis of the MLB TV guys versus what we'd want to see, but yes.
0: Yeah. Um, So the MLB TV guys. So we should talk about this. So the MLB setup has about three standard packages. So one is going around the table at Harold Reynolds and Dan O'Dowd. And this year, uh, Pat Casey, former Oregon State coach give their opinions on a player and these opinions are you want to say worthless yeah
2: i mean almost beyond that (laughs) just (laughs) just
0: like incomprehensibly just useless
2: this guy can hit he is a hitter
1: Um, oh that reminds me one of the ones like he's a hitter with power but he's not a power hitter it's like what (laughs) and the other one's like this guy's got something special about him and then that was it? It was like yeah. nothing to follow up about what that something special might be?
0: Just terrible. Yeah, so that's that's one package. So then they throw to these produced packages, which they really awkwardly introduce because it's NLD draft and everything's awkward, where they're like, we have Billy Hamilton. Uh, sorry, Billy Hamilton. We have Billy Ripken standing by. <laughs> to, How dare uh, you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> yeah. We have Bill Ripken standing by to give some insight into body which in your bill. And he's like, Clearly, you know, obviously on a beach somewhere. And this produced package is like, thanks, this player sure is special. Uh, <laughs> and the thing that gets me about those packages is, so there are like players who put in the, so like Mike Lowell puts in the work and like Al Leiter puts in the work. And then you have like Eric Burns, who is literally like, I saw this guy once, <laughs> He had <laughs> a run. <laughs> or Bill Ripken, who in two two separate produced packages Went through the guys at bat And talked about how he hit a lot of foul balls
2: It was like a nine pitch at bat He went, you know, pitch by pitch but, Oh, yep, Fouled that one off <laughs> Yep, fouled that one off
0: Yeah, no, like, fouled the another off Look at this, look at the swing He fouled it off Look at this, look at the swing He fouled it <laughs> Literally, this is a produced package <laughs> This isn't like us being spontaneous He like sat down they could have edited it to any length. Just left all the foul balls in. It is inexplicable <laughs> what is happening on the show. Um, but then there is a third. So then they had a live look this year. Of um, they got uh, so two player. They had Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, to I believe was it C.J. Abrams to talk about. Uh, no, it was. Uh, it's Hunter, Hunter Bishop, maybe. And he was like, this guy's great. And then they had Trevor Bauer in to break down a couple of the pitchers. And I just want to say, like, I'm, like, not, like, the world's biggest fan of Trevor Bauer's political opinions and, like, Twitter presence. But, like, he was so much better. So good. Than everybody else on the It was like, why are all of you here? <laughs>
2: And it was like in five seconds, within five seconds, like, oh, no, thank you. Like, that was helpful. I get it. Right.
0: He's like 91, to 93 right now. You can see he has a good turn, but he'll be able to pick up velocity, uh, really able to like It was like a modern, like the way you would hear a person talking about a player in a world where, um, you know, you had all the time in the world to, let's say, produce a package and not talk about foul balls or that you knew a guy once or to film a guy on your camera. And hold on if I have the phrase. Uh, this literally came up in giant text, filmed on Kevin Millar's cell phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> no, That was the one <laughs> bit of captioning that they did the entire night. They took a bit of video, and they said, filmed on Kevin Millar's cell phone. Which, again, I haven't heard since, they closed, since the hearing was called off, but, like... <laughs> You just never want to see that, man. Um, And, uh, you know, the players. So the players are always interesting, too. Because they're like. Each one, like, more boring than the next as human beings. Yeah. You know, they're 18 year old kids.
1: Yeah, they're also coached out of showing anything interesting. Right. Right. Keep in mind that if these guys were fascinating, they've been told to spout cliches and been made to watch the interview clip on Bull Durham. 20 times in a (laughs) row. well that's how you can tell they have good makeup if they can't
2: respond to a question then it's good makeup
1: yeah unless their lack of responding to a question is getting so distracted by seeing themselves on tv that they (laughs) fail to speak any kind of english phrase whatsoever
0: (laughs) which by the way they cut for time and then went back to later that interview with cj abrams where he was not able to finish the sentence because he was too busy looking at himself which in fairness I also did right before broadcasting here. <laughs> so also <coughs> DJ, seemed received like he was having much more fun than oh, yeah. everybody else.
2: Yeah. Um, it, was it was nice cool. to see somebody who seemed to be enjoying themselves.
0: Yeah. Uh, so you had like um, Adley Rushman, where I think one of the questions was like, is your dad alive? Yes. <laughs> Which is <Yes>. a real, <laughs> real specific <laughs> one. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, occasionally... So, there are a couple kids who they have each year um, at the broadcast itself. So, about four or five high school kids, usually. Um, it is, like, super awkward. Because, again, you're in, like, a holding... And somewhere in Secaucus, New Jersey. Everyone is, like, fake cheering. But it's, like, three hours in. They're all tired. It you You know, the, like... Each team has a representative, and that representative has, like, I am in my third hour at a card show face, if you know what that is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like athlete stuck behind an autograph line for too long face. Um, so nobody wants to be there except the kids. It's the most exciting thing in their lives. And the interviews there are just, uh, like, bonkers bad. I, I don't know how to explain it this but uh who was there was one kid where i think the questions were like is your family happy you work so hard you work so hard is your family happy and is your family happy that you work so hard
1: yeah and yeah. then is your family here and are you happy that your family's here and isn't it great that your family's here when you got drafted you must be so happy
0: which is a real uh which is a real winner. Um, but. My favorite player of the draft uh is the New York Mets new draft pick, uh yeah. Brett Beatty, who I think yeah. we have to get into. Yeah. Least favorite player. You said so that. so Brett Beatty, uh a uh twenty-seven year old uh high schooler from <laughs> from Lake Travis high school in Austin, Texas. Um <laughs> you also pronounces his name wrong. You play baseball, it should be Batty. That, that's very fair. Um but who pronounces his name much better than Josh Young, who <laughs> I'm not convinced that he knows how to pronounce his last name,
2: to
0: be perfectly honest. Yeah, it, it's James Josh Young.
2: <clears throat> yes.
0: I'm pretty sure he was like literally calm. It It might just be an exclamation point. I don't know. Uh, but Brett Beatty. So again, um, he was very excited to be there. He was drafted by the Mets, uh, and he's in New Jersey, Clearly clearly, a very nice kid uh, Clearly doomed To failure <laughs> Just could not be more marked for failure uh, You know we were looking at the comps Of like every 19 and a half year old Who has ever been drafted The last one was like Blake Rutherford Who is currently uh, like Dying on the White Sox uh, It is like a dismal history Of uh, Of failure Of And they're, they're like But this time is different uh, so, anyway, um, I think you were here. So, what is your, your least favorite part about Brett Beatty's makeup?
2: So, they, I don't know how this interview was. They had this guy with too much energy and a weird jacket-shirt combination interviewing him. And I was like, oh, man, so you're from Austin, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, all right, well, like, where do you like to go for barbecue? And then this jerkwad says, stop <laughs> And <laughs> Jer- then the interviewer guy is like, you mean like Blacks or Franklins? What about them? He's like, no. Salt Lake is the place to go for a barbecue. Friends, let me tell you, Salt Lake is not the place to go for a barbecue. Just not. I don't understand how someone from Austin can say that. It blows my mind.
0: <laughs> like, I, I believe, I firmly believe 99% of people who were not already lost by this digression <laughs> that has lasted 20 minutes, would be lost <laughs> by this further digression. But the 1% of you who is there, that <laughs> one guy may just be us. You know. Like that is that is truly bad makeup right there.
2: It's I mean off the charts bad makeup. That's probably yeah. I don't. I, don't know.
0: I I don't know if it's worse than like their pregame meals of like was it like, oh because you know every player has like a little bit of color so it's like what food do you eat before meals and it's like, like <laughs> the kids are like peanut butter and jelly and dirt <laughs> like okay, <laughs> cool great. Well.
2: I mean, to be fair, it could go back to was the uh, the powdered donuts that always prospects tend to eat. So. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, that was yeah, the, the great one guy of who eats nothing but powdered donuts before game. Yeah, that, that was not a great sign for <laughs> for the Orioles. Now, just a, a, a full bag, right? Yeah, yeah. For our game. that was okay. It's a good lesson. Um. But of everything, that might have been the worst of all. Um, so we we ducked out before the second round. So we really missed the parade of people. Um, every team has a um, – every team, as I said, has a representative. Um, so some of the representatives included um, – what is it? Brian Roberts, Lee Smith uh, for some team. I guess the Cubs, Right. Um, Brian Roberts for the Orioles um, Jason Marquis for the Braves Under the He actually lives close to Secaucus rule And no one else wanted to do it I don't know why anybody would do this
2: um, some Screen time I guess I don't
0: know. Yeah Well Randy Johnson was there And I was like why is Randy Johnson here He seems way too good for this uh, But it turns out like, they just got in a plug For his uh, photography site So <laughs> You know, I don't mind. Like, if you if you get that MLB draft bump, you're golden. So, the MLB draft, I hope everyone watches it with us next year. I, I just want to, like, live coverage of this. It is just... It does not need to exist. <laughs> like, and yet it does! Year after year, and it
2: never... It oh, <laughs> nothing at all. No. And, and I just, I guess... For me, and, and, and to be honest, like it's a little sad for the sport, I think. And not that the draft is ever going to compare to, say, the football draft. There are many reasons why that's not going to be the case, right? And I, I can accept that. But if you look at the, at the football draft and even all the some of the production value aside, like baseball, it's just it's so hokey. You've got this fake dugout. You've got AstroTurf for who knows what reason. Nobody wants to be there. And you look at the football draft, which is always like somewhere fun. There's a crowd who's super into it. And there's so much emotion, like they, when they do the interviews of the players and the family, like everyone's like crying and happy. It just it feels like it feels like a more exciting place, somewhere that you'd want to be. And then you, if you compared to the baseball, Jeff, where it just it doesn't. It just no one is, even the people involved that aren't particularly excited. But it. <laughs> it's,
1: it's true.
0: Which we originally, uh, which we originally pitched as a tagline for our podcast. But I guess. <laughs> <laughs> in fairness, um yeah it, it has right everyone's like i wish we could do more for the draft and it's like have you seen it <laughs> I, just, I don't know
1: do you think they're aspiring to be like the nfl or nba drafts and they just oh, don't 100%. they just don't no. have any sense for what that is or do you think they're like like are they missing the mark because they're incompetent or are they just aiming completely in the wrong direction
2: yeah, I mean, all of it. I think they're satisfied with there because, I mean, it, it literally hasn't changed any meaningful way in however long we've been watching it. So someone somewhere has been like, yep, no, this is good. So I think they want to replicate the draft and that they want to have a draft on TV, but like how baseball does it the right way, which means, you know, no motion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: God. Yes. Also, it's also like yes. no knowledge, right? Like... Yeah, no, I'm
2: not saying it's right, it's, it's clearly wrong.
0: And because the first round is, like, mostly college players, it's also, like, the whitest thing oh, it's, in the world. Oh, <laughs> Cause it's, right, because all of the Latin American players are obviously coming through the international draft, and uh, usually college players are getting drafted early, so it just... Oh, my God. It is... It does not put, you know... <laughs> it is not the let these kids play of, <laughs> of baseball. It is just... Right, exactly. It is, like um baseball marketing in a nutshell uh so both amazing disastrous if you love train wrecks that are you know extremely slow moving please watch it with us next year okay on that note speaking of slow moving train wrecks let's get this podcast onward um so we got a lot of questions this week so many questions um i haven't turned it over to the mailbag captain yet mailbag captain what do you think about all those questions?
2: So many questions. Thanks for turning it over to me. Yeah. Uh, I demanded we had a podcast because we had so many to answer. It's very exciting. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's get in. The first one comes from Tom, who's asking it probably not even to be answered on the podcast. And it's about Hunter Dozier, who is now uh, injured. But I wanted to bring it up because segueing from the draft. We're mm-hmm. going to be talking with Tom about the draft. And he actually knows things about these guys. So that's going to be good. Um. So the Tom is asking about Because uh, we talked about Hunter Dozier last time mm-hmm. And how he's putting up those crazy video game numbers And whether that's going to last or not um, And Tom's question was If Dozier is a Max Muncy Max Muncy comp right now Is that uh, comparable to a round four guy In the mock draft So I thought it was interesting just in the concept of Max Muncie, Because he's still not terrible And what we think Hunter Dozier is going to be
0: it is really, really interesting um, You know, I, I don't know I feel like a lot of uh, I, I, I wouldn't call myself a saber matrician But like a saber adjacent person Has really had to like reevaluate first principles Over the last uh, couple years As, you know, pl- like it looks like Not it looks like, you know Gains are sticking much more than they used to I think that's just a fact. I saw another study on um, Tom Tango's website that kind of illustrated that, that people, that games are stickier than losses at this point. And, you know, so if somebody like Hunter Dozier is hitting out of his mind, I would have said, you know, two years ago, Stone Fluke. And now, um, you know, it's not just that there are more metrics, it's that... I think players are really just, you know, changing faster than the counter-adjustments to them. So, it's hard to say. I guess it just depends on how much you believe that sort of thing, right? And, yeah, if Hunter (laughs) knows, like Max Muncy definitely returned higher than round four value right now. He's a second baseman eligible player who is... Um, hitting out of his mind, uh, he probably doesn't get quite the play playing time you want. Um, but he'd be a clear third or fourth rounder, and yeah, uh, if I, I don't think I would put Hunter Dozier that high, but um, yeah, someone will take him there. Um, I don't really, I don't really have great analysis other than. Yeah, baseball's sure funny these days, huh?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, but I think, I think it's a fair point that uh, with the ways that players can improve now, there's a lot more ways other than being a fluke to have a, a giant leap like that. So I think it's an interesting point.
0: Yeah, and and also to be perfectly clear, like I think Hunter Dozier is the Max Muncie of 2019. It's not like there are that many other players who have taken that sort of leap uh, other than our patron saint of uh, TTO oppositeness, Tommy Listel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah But it's it's still not like Super common but I, I I trust I definitely trust those Kind of stone flukes more than I used to Especially if accompanied by Swing change, long strangle change Higher exit losses You know if the <laughs> metrics behind it seem real Yeah
2: um,
0: Definitely change in thinking So yeah Uh, it's really good analysis and that's why he'll be on next time
2: yeah so if you have any questions about um i don't know guys who are 12 years old or younger please send them in (laughs) now any sort of prospect types or uh guys who are just taken in the draft tom's good at that you have to have him on um moving on next question comes from daryl and ben i'll send this your way first unless you'd rather not um daryl is asking because he has um brad hand and Dylan batances and is getting uh inquiries about trading them um on a rebuilding team and he wants to know what would be a fair return for these rare levers in sort of a general sense does it vary from league to league how can you look at past trades you know what would be a good rule of thumb for trading these sorts of players
1: yeah um so I guess I'll preface this by saying that in every league, every year, I struggle with this, even in a league uh, like the one that we share with Daryl, um, Dwayne Murphy, where there's a really long uh, history of relievers being traded for draft pick swap upgrades. Um, I think there's two keys to doing this well. The first is um, selling as early as you can can feel comfortable selling. And we talked about this a little bit before, but I probably advocate for selling earlier than most would. Um, I think most people sort of delude themselves into thinking they can compete more often than they actually can. And if you sell early, you have a chance to set the market and sort of um, make sure that you can drive the value of your players in the direction that you want. Uh, So that's the first thing is sell early. The second thing is um, be as public as you're comfortable being about the fact that you're selling these relievers. So uh, advertise that they're available to the league. Um, Be pretty open with people that inquire about them, about how much inquiry uh, you're getting on each player. And, um, you know, without ever running into a situation where you're uh, directly trying to engage people in a bidding war, make sure that the players that a lot of owners are interested in uh, acquiring are, Um, you know, getting that you're going to get good value for them and make sure that the owners that are asking about them know that other owners are asking about them so that when they come to you with offers, they're not just going to lowball you. They're going to give you basically like their their best offer that they can give you. And then um, you'll have the advantage of being able to take however many of those offers you get and pick amongst the best of them. Um, The teams that end up selling second or third after you are going to have the market already set. And they're going to be sort of vulnerable to, you know, whatever the best offer was that you happen to choose from. So uh, you can really choose your own destiny and sort of uh, drive things in the direction that's best for your team by doing those two things. So sell early and be public about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that with, you know, relief pitchers in score sheet, um, in pretty much every league that is anywhere near normal, uh, they can't be kept. You know, other than perhaps the elite ones. So everyone knows that, so you're not really you know, in that sense, trading relievers is a bit like almost like a one year league or you're trading for picks, right? Um So you have no leverage in that way. So, like you said, the only way to create leverage is you know, between trading partners. So that's why I've noticed, you know, I think Daryl is right. Like, I think different leagues have almost, like, different customs when it comes to expected return for um, relief pitching. That has been set maybe years ago.
1: Yeah, and if you're in a league where relief pitchers are traded often, I think it's helpful to... Take some guidance from the transaction history. Uh, you can navigate through that on the ScoreSheet League pages. Um, there's like a cascade of links at the top of the page that uh, one of them will link you to basically like previous years' league pages for that same league, and you can look at the transaction results in there if you want to. Um, it's time-consuming, it's onerous, it's not user-friendly, but it's ScoreSheet. And uh, if you know that your league has a lot of those kinds of trades, you can sort of use that as a guideline. Um, I still think that, you know, the two things that I mentioned will help you get the best deal that you can, regardless of whether the league has an established practice, um, or sort of, a a market for those types of relievers that carries over from year to year. Right.
0: But on some level, like the price that people are willing to pay is the price when it comes down to it.
1: Yeah. But you're going to make sure you get the best price by, um, by doing that. yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah, and I think for the reason I'm interested in wanting to get some sort of rule of thumb But it's, it's so hard to look Even if you were able to look at last year's players traded You'd want to know what the relievers ERA was at the time of trade And how many other teams were in contention I think it's just so hard to have Even a baseline of what to expect
0: Yeah I, I mean, I think Usually round 20 is a good anchor If nothing else <laughs> In a standard league like, I feel like under 20 is, like, about right for a pick or two, or for a return. Um, but, you know, your mileage may vary widely.
2: Cool. Okay. Um, thanks for the question, Daryl. Next question comes from uh, Garson, who has an NL uh, team in a private league with public rules, who has uh, Cody Bellinger, but... Um, seems like he wants to be rebuilding, um, has received an offer for Cody Bellinger that he thinks is good and wants to structure similar offers to other teams. So um, the question for you, I won't read them all in detail because I think we could probably just do with the first player. So all of them he's getting around 14 back. One is structured around Stanton, one around Springer, one around Chris Davis and I guess Taylor Trammell. Would you be interested in trading Cody Bellinger for any of these? And do the uh, second and third players in the package even matter?
0: Um, can I channel Friend of Pod, for, uh, Rob McCann? Yes. No, no, don't do this. <laughs> In no way uh, should you trade Cody Ballinger for lesser players. I would say uh, the one that appeals most to me of those three is uh, this offer two, which is George Springer, um, plus Mackenzie Gore, plus Luis Patino, uh, and around 14, which is. Um, you know, uh, George Springer also hitting out of his mind and Cora uh, Patino yeah, I was, you know, as strong low level pitching prospects, but still low level pitching prospects. Um, right. I don't know. I think, as we've mentioned many times, it's just extremely, extremely hard to go down the value chain in the first round and still feel like you're getting a good return. And especially in the position that you're in where you don't have to make a trade right now. Um, again, like, I don't see why you should do it unless you're given an offer that's so compelling that there's no choice.
2: <clears throat> I think I agree and- and so Ben, let me ask it this way, from like sort of a theoretical perspective, this seems tough, tough to me, trading one, uh, you know, highly established great star for someone who's maybe like slightly less good, and then some prospects in a draft pick. It just seems generally that structure is going to be tough. Would it be at least more conceivable if it were all, you know, high prospects in return, or? alternatively maybe if there's a way i can think of like in murphy we were talking about if there are a are to where you downgrade a little bit in the star but then get a ton of depth like if you really need a depth and maybe there is yeah you downgrade a little bit of star but you got i don't know let's to be crazy like seven or eight guys that you could plug into your lineup or your bench or whatever is something like that more more um uh,
1: conceivable as a trade yeah maybe i guess it depends on the team i sure. think the other the other part of what rob um said that i think is worth repeating that uh, I don't think Ian said explicitly is that, you know, a lot of these kinds of trades. If if you're coming away with the best player, you're more likely to win the trade in the long run. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that if it's a one for four or something like that, the even if <clears throat> even if the sum of the value of the four ends up being more at the time of the trade than the perceived value of the one, um, that one is going to be you know, the singularly most valuable player in the deal is more likely to carry their value going forward, uh, especially in a situation like this where it's Ballinger, right? Like it's different if it's a guy that's 32 or something. Um, the other thing that I think is uh, at least somewhat interesting about this trade, and I guess I was thinking more about offer one specifically in this lens is that um bellinger was really good in 2017 and he was solid in 2018 but not like amazing and now he's like amazing and even though he's talented i don't think he's really this amazing and i'm not sure that any of these offers really price him as being this amazing but it's definitely possible that you're in the time window where you would sell high on bellinger and i think the best offer that you're going to get is probably two other star players that are, you know, not as bright of stars as Bellinger is. And especially if your team is looking to contend now, you could do it for depth like you were saying, Jared, but um, you're very unlikely to get the prospects that actually hit uh, often enough that I think, like, That would be the way that I would advocate to go. I would try to find two uh, above average to star players on the other person's team that are underperforming expectations that you want to gamble on rebounding or coming back to uh, meet expectations in the future. Um, If you're really going to trade Bellinger or a player like that, I think that's that's the best bet to do it. Um, I still probably wouldn't do it, but that's where I would look for a good opportunity to to feel good about the trade in three years or whatever.
0: Yeah, almost exactly what Ben said. I like the. I would almost say the converse of what you were saying. Like rather than trade for like eight good players, I would like the player who I was thinking to trade Cody Bellinger for would be like Juan Soto. Hmm. You know, that just a you know you keep a lot of the young potential. Uh, One out of maybe having a little bit worse of a season, uh, maybe a little less um, defense in the long run, right? So maybe not, may not have quite as high the ceiling, but I feel like that you could actually potentially make a trade if you have a decent second piece and think, oh, this is something that I could do. Because as you also said, you know, I think there are ways in which it makes sense to trade Bellinger right now. You know, he has cut a strikeout rate, like I was saying in the, answer the last question, these changes seem to be realer than they ever were before. Um, and he's certainly on a team that is excellent at hitter development. But, um, you know, I think it's something we have explored with our uh, with our star level talent. Like, whenever we do try to make the trade, I think we are trying to get a near star back. Even And even then, I feel like We accept like a little bit of loss Or a little bit of leakage Hmm. Cool
2: Um, Let's move on to the next question then Sure Uh, Next one comes from Steve Who's asking about two of his teams And whether he should start playing for next year And if so, what to start trading So the first is an AL league Which he listed as 506 But we're pretty confident it's 509 Thanks to some crack sleuthing by Ian Good job Ian um, but so, also
0: based on 506 not existing as a <laughs>
2: um, So uh, the AL team is currently in fourth in the their division, six games back. Um, although he says three weeks ago it was in first place, and I'm still debating the relevancy of that statement. But with a negative run differential, um, he's been suffering some injuries, but he does have Dallas Keuchel coming back. So he seems to believe that the team has mostly been smoking mirrors the first two months. Would you all agree? Um if not, you know, how should he start winning, pushing to uh, to win? And if you do think it's been spoken mirrors, what would you try trading away first?
0: Right. And I think what the last few weeks have proven is that that's absolutely the case. You know, I think his instincts were right on. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, AL509. Oh, had the wrong team. Uh, I guess I don't know if that's the case. One second. <laughs> All
2: right, well while you're doing that, Ben, let me ask something like Keichel, who is just coming back at some point theoretically. What would you
1: is that someone you would trade away as a rebuilder or not? So are you gonna have to fill me in? Is Keigel signed now?
0: There's a theory that he is going to sign oh, this week now that the draft is over. Gotcha. Sorry, the dog's barking in the background. Okay. Um, but,
2: I mean, he might not be. I guess there's no way no know for certain. It just seems right. like pretty much has to be. it would be crazy if he weren't. Um.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, there's no way to price Keuchel here, but I think it probably doesn't matter. I mean, I, I guess I've said this before, and I'm not sure it's always going to be true, but my hunch is that anytime you have to ask somebody if it's time to give up, it's really just because secretly inside you, you know it's time to give up and you just don't want to admit it without somebody telling you, yeah, it's time to give up. Um, both of these teams that he wrote in about, I think, fit that description. Um, and maybe that also is just because, for me at least, like the bar to um, buy in a s- specific season or you know go in to try to win in a specific season is pretty high. Um, just making the playoffs isn't really something that, you know, like I, I feel like your bar should be like if you didn't do anything, you would be like at least 65, 70% chance of making the playoffs. Um, and so then you, you would sell at like less than 50% chance of making the playoffs, and you would like buy aggressively if you're probably going to make the playoffs and you want to try to increase your chances of winning the championship as much as possible.
0: Yeah, so in this case, um, so this is AL five and nine, and I, I will stick uh, with that. But I, I do think it was, um, this was a team destined to probably struggle. And, um, you know, as the last few weeks have proven. Um, I guess the question I would ask is, like, is this a championship core, right? Like, what are you building towards? Um, it's interesting. I think it's not a bad core. I think if you look up the middle, you have Jose Altuve, who might be exiting a prime. Um, Yandi Diaz, who is again another of these like, weird pop-up players who I kind of believe in. And Xander Bogarts, who is kind of uh, end prime. I don't know that there's a lot around that that I see as like really fit for the future. And I think you could Probably do a lot of trimming to kind of just, again, like pack the best 13 players you can and, you know, maybe move players in their 30s who are having good seasons. Move for the Carlos Santana, move Tommy Pham. I know that's not like a shocking thing, but I guess the question is like, is this team set up to compete next year? And I don't, on first blush, feel that from this team. And therefore, I might be a little more aggressive.
1: And do you think now or soon will be the best time to try to trade Altuve?
0: Um, It kind of hurts because we have him in a lot of leagues. (laughs) I don't think now is a great time just because, you know, it's like literally now he's coming off an injury. Literally now, you know, his numbers have been receding a little bit. Uh, I'd like to get more of local maximum and I'm willing to take a risk. Especially in our leagues where he will help us Towards a championship But yes, I think we're getting there
1: Cool Jared, did you want to explore the other team? Yeah, let's do that real quick Just
2: trying to move this along um, He's okay. got a team NL 342 He's in third place in the division Four games back uh, with a record around 500 and a run differential that seems to support there right now Um So, again, he's wondering if he has upside and if he should get the team in the playoffs. And I guess if I were to base the question around one person, like I tried to do last time, I'd say someone like Chris Paddock, who we believe to be innings limited and maybe shut down, or the question is how much is he going to pitch later in the year and how does that influence your decision?
0: It's a really great question, right? Like I feel like so many... um, you're just seeing this more and more with young pitchers and non-contending teams. But it's, it's almost a recipe. Like, they are going down in September, no matter what. And then you just have uh, a lot of young players who are kind of regular season players in the score sheet world. Um, you know, I believe in Chris Paddock so hard that I would feel, find it really hard to trade him for value anyway. So it's kind of an academic thing.
2: Yeah, well, I wouldn't trade him, but in the sense of if you're worried about your team being competitive, you have a guy like Paddock who you're worried about his innings right. and in, innings in the playoffs. Right. Is that even more evidence to suggest maybe this isn't your year?
0: Um, just because the feeling is once you get there, you're going to be drawing dead on some yeah. level.
2: Yeah. yeah, if he's like, if he's your ace, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's tricky. I feel like a lot of teams may face similar. Are similar issues, just because I feel like September, like I said, September starts have become more and more strange over the last few years for everybody. So you might not be the only team facing that, but um, in this particular case, I like his team better than that. I feel like there's enough coming back that I would, I would be willing to risk it. Um, but yeah more generally, I don't know. I feel like if somebody is like really aggressive, I feel like there is some arbitrage to be made from like moving these players or like you know um, buying upper level prospect pitching prospects and then just flogging them in July for uh, more more established starters and just start doing that. but uh, I, I don't that's a little more mercenary than I can be in this case too.
2: So are you saying go for it or play for next year? I
0: I would say... I would say to go for it and just realize you might not have the best shot in this particular case. (laughs) And probably in general.
1: This is why we own teams together so that I can say, Ian, that's a bad idea. (laughs) Uh, I I guess. I mean,
0: mean, it's less of a...
1: I think there's there's real value to holding on to the players that make you happy, right? And so, like, you're talking about Paddock. I think, like... You want to look forward to next year and be excited about the team and ideally also be happy about this year, obviously. But I wouldn't trade any player that you're going to be sad that you traded. But outside of that, I don't think it makes sense to try to squeak your way into the playoffs and sort of hope for a lucky dice roll. But that's my preference.
0: I guess I I th- I just think once you the die is cast a little bit there. So some, sometimes there are worse fates. Um, or, or you may want to like theor- think about getting aggressive around the margins and just buying the Scott, uh, the Josh Donaldsons of the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess if you were gonna go for it, I would say you probably want to trade next year's draft picks to do it yeah um but you're basically gonna have to judge chances next year against chances this year either way it's just much easier to trade draft picks because um people like how it feels to acquire draft picks it's like oh i have this like choose your own destiny sort of thing um and it also sort of mitigates the long run impact that you're facing Um, Anyway, I don't know if that's super helpful. I would sell on both of these teams if we're voting on it.
2: Okay. Cool. All right. right, let's been one of the last question. And again, thanks for your questions. Scoresheet at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, last question comes from Rob, who's in first place in his league for now. Um, uh, it's a BL24 league with five rookies that you can keep with late slots he is worried about Carlos Correa and Joey Gallo going down. And so in this trade, he would be getting um, uh, Didi Gregorius and Gerardo Parra, who he says is almost nothing, but he's betting like fifth for the Nats or something. Uh, and trading... Uh, <laughs> I, looked at, I looked at these pronunciations, but then I forgot. Uh, Tyler Malley? Mali? Tyler Malley. Malley. I was close. I thought it was like Tigo Brahe. And... And I'm I, I've heard this pronounced a million different ways. Tell me how to pronounce Louis Robert's name.
0: Yeah, you nailed it. Really? Yeah. No. Louis Robert.
2: Louis Robert. Okay, sure.
0: It's it's so depressing. <laughs> 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 uh, just I don't understand why. Um, there there is a a pitcher uh, for the Marlins uh, whose name is George Guzman, and. George is spelled J-O-R-G-E. What? And I will never, ever. That. <laughs> that seems tough. Just so you all know. Um, <laughs> less. Uh, so, Louise Robert, which is a thing, uh, is uh, just so, for anyone who hasn't followed the White Sox closely, is, uh, as of today, hitting 325, 369, 561, and A, Coming off uh, 80 at-bats in single A, where he had an on base percentage of 512, slugging 920.
2: I think those are good numbers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, the first good thing to happen to the White Sox in 14 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't checked. Uh, I haven't fact checked that, but it seems right to me. Um, yeah, that said, I, I think he's probably at uh, maximal value. And I really like DD Gregorius. So. I would kind of do it, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> 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 I would feel really bad when Louis Roberts turns into like a star, but it, you know, I think there's a chance it's the best 200 bats of his life.
2: Sure.
0: I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I would do it in real life because I would probably grow too attached to the prospect, which I think oh, you is are. probably experienced yeah. as well, but yeah. uh, as an external observer. Yeah. 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 I, it makes sense to me. You're in first place. Go for it. Step on the neck. Um, maybe you want to Maybe to see D.D. come back for a week or two and just see how he is. Um, and if he if he struggles, like, if he struggles for the first two weeks, you might be able to get him at, like, bargain basement prices because everyone mm. can go, oh, God, he's hurt. So, you know, my, that's why I kind of like trading players as they come back. So, like, I would try to trade D.D. Gregorius this week. I might wait two weeks to, like, buy him just to see if he has, like, a 150 batting average after uh, two weeks and, like, try to get him cheaper then. Mm -hmm. But I I would probably do this in the end. Uh, I I don't want to dismiss Tyler Malley too. He's, like, an actual starter who I think is a keeper. Um, So it's a lot. But I do like Didi Gregorius. Um. (laughs) Cool. Yeah all right it's quite the mailbag
2: yeah that was a lot it was great
1: we asked and you answered brought meaning to my life
0: yeah and again any uh any prospect and uh draft questions get answered next week uh the only question we won't answer is why did you start with a 20-minute analysis of the mlb draft that did not include analysis of the mlb draft itself (laughs) that question will not be answered nope but everything else it um, was
1: 30 minutes but uh <laughs> next week tom i'll tell you about all the players so you'll yeah. be happy
0: you tuned in i i like always teasing next week's podcast as being better than this one it, it <laughs> makes me feel optimistic in <laughs> the lot
1: it's one of the only ways to keep doing this
0: <sighs> one day, one like, day oh, we can
1: definitely we can definitely do better than that we can definitely do better than that.
0: Uh, But thanks for bearing with us. Until then, uh, Ben, what is the best thing you saw this week? Um,
1: There were a lot of good candidates this week, but I'm going to be somewhat self-indulgent and say that the best thing I saw this week was uh, my name on the paperwork, I guess, for a new Tesla. Um, I bought a Tesla Model 3 and took delivery this past week. Um, I'll give you the short version of the story. Uh, So I had... Debated about ordering one for quite a while and sort of gone back and forth with my wife and done all of the necessary financial planning types of things and sort of came to the conclusion that it was something that I wanted to do. And so there's a crazy law in Michigan where you can't actually buy a Tesla in Michigan because you can only buy cars from dealerships and that's not how Tesla sells them. So you technically have to buy a Tesla in Ohio and that basically just means you go on the website and you order it on the website and then you have the option of either going to pick it up in Ohio or having it delivered to you. Well, it's faster if you go pick it up. So that's what I opted for. And I filled out the form, like sent in the configuration, put in my like deposit that says, yes, I'm very serious about actually buying this car. um, Late April and online it said it was going to be like two weeks until I took delivery of the car, which is like really fast um, and I had like talked to some people and they were like, yeah, that's probably a little you know, aggressive. It'll probably be more like four weeks or something like that. So after, I don't know, three and a half, four weeks had gone by, I called Tesla and was like, Hey, can you just like, give me an update? Um, and they're like, no, we can't. Um, the cars are apparently not made to order. Well, they are, but like, instead of having the list of what people ordered and using that to drive what actually gets created in the factory, they just sort of create random combinations of things and then match them up to the orders that people had put in, which is a very weird way of doing this. Um, It's not how they do the other models. That's apparently only how they do model three, but like the S and the X they are made to order. So like when you put it in, they can actually tell you when it's going to come. But they did say like they do work really hard to satisfy orders by the end of each quarter because it helps the financial statements and, investors like to hear that kind of thing so i was pretty confident i'd get it by the end of june which was the thing that mattered to me because that's when the tax credit goes down and that's part of why i decided to buy it now uh so anyway smash cut to uh having three weekends in a row where i had plans and i happened to be in austin texas for usa ultimate uh college championships which would have been the best thing that i saw otherwise because um, the women's final was a uh, fantastic game, actually, even for people that I think aren't Ultimate fans, so it's definitely worth checking out. But I was down there and got the calls like, oh, hey, like, your car's going to be coming in. Um, let's figure out when you can come. And they're like, can you come next weekend? I was like, no, I can't. Uh, but I could come during the week. And they're like, okay. Uh, so I made plans to go actually tomorrow to pick it up. Um, s- spoiler, I'm not going to pick it up tomorrow. It's in the garage already. Uh, <laughs> and so last week they called me um so like as part of making the appointment to go pick it up uh, driving to Cleveland one way, you know like I need a rental car that goes one way which is not like super difficult to set up but' is non-trivial um, and you know it has some expense associated with it 100 bucks 150 bucks something like that um, and I was getting ready to cook dinner last week on, Wednesday, and they called me from the dealership and they were like, Hey, your car came in a little bit early. Uh, you want to come get it? And I was like, Well, y- yeah, I do, but I live in Michigan, so it's not like I can just stop in tomorrow. Um, and they're like, Oh, well, uh, you know, like how long is the drive? And I was like, I, You know, three hours or something like that. And they're like, Oh, okay. How are you going to get here? And I was like, well, you know, I had made an appointment next week to come get it. So I had a rental car for next week. And they're like, oh, you need a rental car? Okay, we'll get you a rental car. And so, like, (laughs) while I'm on the phone with them, I got an email from uh, Enterprise that's like, here's your rental car. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like, let me make sure I don't have anything for work that I'm going to miss. And fortunately, the timing worked out that I didn't. So, you know, the next morning I go into Enterprise and they're like, yep, here's your rental car. So I, like, drove this like Subaru station wagon down to Cleveland. Uh, and when I got there, it was, you know, like all of 20 minutes of like filling out some paperwork and then sitting and, you know, the person was explaining to me like how to use the touchscreen and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, just sort of drove back. Uh, I also happened to leave my raincoat in the rental car parked in the Tesla parking lot uh and like realized it when i was halfway back to home and it started pouring down rain i was like where's my raincoat and i was like oh garbo i freaking <laughs> left the raincoat in the rental car so i called them up and they're like oh yeah that's no problem we'll just ship it to you and i was like oh wow that's that's nice uh, they were very helpful very pleasant um i think overall other than not knowing what to expect until it was time to expect it um everything was awesome. And so far it's been a blast. I actually drove it to Chicago over the weekend, which was why I couldn't go pick it up. I had plans to go to Chicago, um, this past weekend. So, uh, it was a lot of fun. It's already the most enjoyable car that I've owned. And based on everything that everybody says, everybody that has one loves one. So I'm excited for driving it for a long time and having it also be the car that I love the most. So, Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it was
0: great. Yeah,
2: and, so... Oh, go ahead. And the best thing you saw was your name on the paperwork? Was it wasn't the card? Well, itself? like,
0: the card
1: is awesome. I don't know what the right way to describe, like, the best thing about that, like, the thing that I yeah, saw. Fair. I guess maybe the, the first time that I, like, saw the thing light up, and was like, welcome, Ben, or whatever. like Because it knows who you are, and anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's curiously erasing uh, welcome, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh The technology is really cool. It's really cool. If you haven't, like, if you don't know about them, there's all kinds of great videos on YouTube and stuff. Um, but it's really fascinating. And it's a, I like, I guess, one of the reasons I find it really compelling is because it's a car that's really fun to drive, but also you feel good about driving it because it's as good as we can do for the environment right now. And um, that's something that I feel good about, also. So it's a great combination of those things. So.
0: Uh, That's really awesome. So, yeah. uh, just two things. Um, uh, one, I um, <laughs> I, I hear the story, and I think uh, I think the story makes a lot of sense. But part of me wishes that uh, the same way, like you know, Kansas is a fireworks state, that there was like a Tesla dealership, like right at the border on Toledo. <laughs> <laughs> just have like Michiganders like yeah. chasing down over the border to be like <laughs> Oh god, we gotta get me a Tesla.
1: I have to imagine that they haven't missed out on any sales because of that, but it would definitely be more compelling if it were closer to Michigan. Yeah. It's also a weird, crazy loss, like if you're not sure what's going on in Michigan, just think of like well, how does it make money for the auto companies, like the big three auto companies? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh Oh, Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, before we transition over to the next person's best thing, I want to underscore that, like, that women's game at the college championships this year was, like, really amazing. So um, definitely heartily recommend that. Uh, You've heard me talk about college Frisbee on here before, so I won't go on, but um, it'll be up online if you just search for... Like um, division one women's college ultimate something like that.
0: So like the Champions League final, but good.
1: Um, I guess I
0: didn't watch the Champions
1: League final. Yeah, but you're better off for it. I can tell you that this game was really compelling.
0: So okay, um, that's really exciting. Yeah, uh, and so the the only other thing I was going to say is um, Tesla. Feel free to sponsor us. <laughs> and, um, same for Enterprise Round a Car. To be perfectly candid. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it I'll, I'll even just take the raincoat I don't need the car just <laughs> uh, so that's exciting uh so Jared what's the what's the best thing you saw this week? oh
2: yeah I had a friend uh drive across the country in a Tesla recently he said it was great yeah it's fun um uh do do, do so the timing is real weird for this uh because yeah. obviously the best thing I saw is Adley Rutchman getting drafted number one overall by the Baltimore Orioles um but we just talked about that and then i can't lie like the best thing is i like one of my friends had been going through some like mental stuff and i saw him over the weekend he was doing great it's so, like that's really you know the best thing i saw it's not particularly interesting i had some stuff stayed up from like two weeks ago yeah is that save, cool if we allow same it
0: year. yeah i'm gonna do uh, the same thing
2: so yeah it's not really last week but uh, it's fine um so i was at a, a wedding this what was it it was a couple weeks ago i was at a wedding so two things so tell me real quick um uh, so is at this uh beautiful country club golf course second best wedding i've been to on a golf course and um we were at the um we we sat down for the um for the ceremony they handed out a program with like the seven things that were going to happen during the um ceremony and one of my friends is like all right so like you know jared what's the line how long it's going to be and i'm like all right so now we're gambling at a wedding this is gonna be fun um and so it was tough because there was this like really, um, like ritzy kind of place, but my friends that were getting married, I know that they were like pretty chill kind of people. So I knew they probably went on something super long, but again, it felt like a place with some formality and there were like seven different things listed out on the program. Uh, so I set the line at, I believe it was 24 minutes. And so my friend's like, oh man, it's definitely going to be the over. Um, and then, uh, uh, my sister was like, oh man, it's, it's totally going to be under, It's like great. Like I'm charging a vig. I'm going to make money on this no matter what. That was great. Then I had explained what a vig was, but um, uh, it got. If you all have never bet on, you don't have to use actual money. But if you never like bet on an actual wedding, especially one where you're not like in it it's so much fun <laughs> and it, it makes things just so like so much better just like betting on like how long the best man's speech is going to go yeah. just something like that. oh man it just like you get so invested in this stuff and so let me tell you which dad we Christ were first. just like hanging on every word <laughs> and my uh, one friend the groom who's getting married he pulls out his vows like they got separate vows like they wrote their own vows he pulls out his thing it's like five pages with four false endings and we're sitting there like wrap it up wrap it up let's go let's go um but uh, it was possibly the proudest moment of my life. I set the line at 24 minutes. It was 23 minutes and 45 seconds. Wow. I mean, wow. I just, I mean, obviously, so much luck fluke, but some thought to go into it. And I was I was just like that. But immediately, because the line was so close, like, it was just really exciting at the end. Obviously, it was a lovely wedding and everything, but, wow. but really exciting at the end. <laughs> Yes. Um, yada, yada,
1: happily ever after. I made 20
0: I bucks. Have,
2: I <laughs> highly recommend that. It made like it made just like, it was a real exciting wedding um, in that respect. Um, but then, uh, so I, I just wanted to bring up. So on the write-up, we were uh, listening to 80s on 8 on SiriusXM because it's the best channel, obviously. Sure. And um, this guy had won um, through some sort of charity. He I don't know if it was an auction or whatever. I think it was like a charity auction. He bid the most, so he got to be DJ for an hour on SiriusXM 80s on 8 and um this dude seems like like a nice guy he just seems like a cool guy you know he was like real respectful I was like man you know guys who not to this charity it's a great charity and I'm real lucky to have this opportunity and he introduced each song like he was a DJ and like this like, like this is a real meaningful moment in my life and this you know relates to like my sister this relates to my first girlfriend this like reminds me of when my family moved to California or whatever um uh, and so like it was all really great uh but it was amazing because he picked the most generic songs you can imagine. Like if you and so the question I want to pose to you guys: if you had an hour to program, you can't do this all the but if you had an hour to program a channel, whether eighty of the night, whatever it is, like what would you pick? And for him, it was just like he did like every breath you take, which obviously I love, but it's like every breath you take. And then like his deep cut was Michael Jackson's PYT again like you know i don't know if we'd play michael jackson now, but you idea is not like a deep cut michael jackson kind of song it's not the one i would pick off a thriller but anyway like it was all stuff like that just like the most generic stuff he had like spent all this money had really deep meaningful connections to this music and then it was like sweet emotion that That's is,
0: yeah
2: but it doesn't um, even think about like what what would, what would you do if you had to program in a channel for an hour and and what would you go with? And that's not the direction I would go in. but like, I really applauded. Like, that's just what he went with. He's like, you know what? I can listen to these songs whenever. That's fine. They're my songs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play them.
1: Okay. Maybe he's heard them so many times that they conjure all kinds of positive memories. for him. <laughs> Yeah.
2: Maybe.
0: Um, so I'll answer that in a second. Uh, but uh, first, so the, uh, just, you know, I, again, like, like you, you know, actual good things happened to me this week. Like, My sister got a doctorate, like, way Mm -hmm. to go. Yeah. Uh, But that's not exciting to Um, (laughs) y'all. So uh, I don't have a best thing I saw this week. I have a a best thing I heard this week, which will also be what I would play at the 80s on 8, which is a rule that I've set for myself. If Carly Rae Jepsen releases an album, I should probably talk about it on the one medium where I am (laughs) allowed to do without impunity. Um. So, yeah, obviously the best thing I heard this week is Dedicated, Uh, the album slash exegesis by Carly Rae Jepsen, um, singer of song, um, maybe caller. Uh, And, okay, so I think there are a few people who, uh, there are a few different types of people when it comes to this. Uh, So one type of person is like, "Um, who? And it's fine, not for you. Right. This isn't for you. Uh, another is like, isn't that the person who sang like the one hit wonder? And it's like, yeah, look, I, the heart wants what it wants. And, like, I didn't want like the one hit wonder and like Canadian idol runner up to be the best songwriter of the 2010s. But here we are, <laughs> you know, like it's a weird world. Um, and then third, there I think there are people who like pay some attention to music and are like, uh, boy, it sure does seem like a lot of people like this one random person. Are you all in some sort of collective joke? <laughs> uh, in on some collective joke. And to that I have, I have two responses. So, uh, number one, uh, and I am glad, the reason I'm I'm talking about this now, I have Jared to back me up on this. Um, I just want to be very clear I was early on this train. Yes. Not to be, not to be all indie about this, but like, yes, yeah, I, I, I was not, like, a johnny Con lately to this. I, I, have, I have receipts from 2012, where I said, uh, like, <laughs> I think I'm going to buy her fourth album, and I think I'm going to be the only person who does so. Um, and then, um, yeah, I also uh, would like to address the, this theoretical straw man of, like, uh, you know, which I've seen in a few places, like, why do hipsters or like, like pop all of a sudden? Um, it's really good music. And not only is it really good music, it prizes the things that I like and value these days. And I think one of the things that I enjoy the most about pop music in general and about her pop music in particular is clarity of purpose. Um, and I, I was listening to, uh, an interview where she kind of mentioned this, that, you know, that not that indie rock is a bad thing, but there is a way in which it is easier to write, you know, it is more shambolic, you don't have to necessarily finish things, you don't have to come to a clear point, and you don't have to refine in the same way, and, um, when it comes to I would say the style of music this in particular uh it really does connect all the things that i have enjoyed most about music it connects uh, i would say this kind of folk music upbringing which she had and which i also have of like you, you know your 70s singer songwriters your randy newmans and leonard cohen's james taylor's with Kind of '90s production and 2000s uh, and 2010s uh, produ- uh, '90s writing and 2010s production, um, and just a couple references that I thought were really interesting uh, to me about the making of this album. Uh, one is uh, that she says she was inspired by the Bee Gees and Alba, which I definitely hear, um, and it remind this album reminds me very much of uh, Fice Inside and Out which was, uh, and the Lead to Die album, which was this kind of like soft jazz Bee Gees cover. The other thing, the other reference that she had for this album that I thought was really appropriate, I didn't realize until uh, she said it was Squeeze. And once she said that, I was like, oh, I can hear this in every song. Yeah, Yeah. she is really like the uh, Chris Difford of the 2010s in a lot of ways. And I'm like, oh, of course That there, there's This is kind of like a modern squeeze And, you know, I think uh, Both Jared and I sh- kind of share a love Of those albums as well um, yes. Yeah So I would say uh, this in particular If you are at all interested In um, Certain types of music I really love uh, Kind of this melodic 80s, uh, like Scurdy Polity uh, Prefab Sprout kind of sound which is all over the beginning uh into the 90s and into kind of a cindy lopper and kind of active mariah carey vibe it's really wonderful and the 2000s of uh, 2010s of like time and robin and this kind of modern world and i think it all comes together i actually uh think i agree with a lot of uh carly heads that this is less of a um Maybe fewer high points than emotion, but even a more consistent album in some ways. Um, And I just wanted to say, like, very much, this is a real thing, and people can like what they like. (laughs) And, you know, it is not a joke that is being played upon you. Do not worry by those of us who are listening. Um, Jared, uh, I guess you have heard this album, right? I have heard the album.
2: Only Um, once all the way through, though.
0: Yeah, uh, I so I actually haven't asked. Do you have any any thoughts about it in particular?
2: Um, I needed to give it another listen or two. I think I'm going to end up liking Emotion more, but also because I like the kind of bigger, hookier. I'm talking about this a little. Like the bigger, hookier, popular kind of stuff. I I tend to just go for that, which isn't a knock on this album. I just tend to enjoy my music more as like big singles that I can bop around to.
0: Right, and can I ask um, the so, I did have an offline question for you. I was trying to save it for this, for some reason. Uh, where I was like, what is your favorite song from the album? I was guessing I'll Be Your Girl, which sounds like Tegan and Sarah fronting the police on a chorus. And, uh, but I'm going to say it's uh, it might actually be Want You in My Room. Which is uh, the most Jack antonoff song <laughs> I've heard since, uh, <laughs> uh, either since fun or since, uh, Walk the Moon. <laughs> so. Yes,
2: which I'm still not tired of. But yeah, I'll I'll have to get back to you because since you told me the first one was giving to my favorite, I listened to that a bunch and now it's stuck in my head some. Okay. So it's not entirely fair.
0: Yeah, and so I'll, I'll just throw, like, I think, again, like, uh, I would recommend No Drug Like Me. I would recommend, um i'll be your girl as well i would recommend automatically in love i think there's a lot uh again if you're into this very smooth sound i feel like she is steadily turning into the blue nile which is really exactly what i want for pop music these days so um really exciting to have that with me and uh the best thing i heard this week awesome okay on that note we will be back next week oh sorry
1: i've actually heard this album one of my friends yeah one of my friends that I was going to and from Chicago with is good at listening to new music. And, uh, we were on the way back and we were like ready to be home and not quite home yet. And he was like, I've got just the thing. And he's like, uh, bear with me here for a second. But like this new album by her is really good. Uh, and, and I liked it. Like none of the songs like stuck in my head. I couldn't tell you the names of any of them, uh, without looking them up, but, uh, it was good. like, I, it's like, oh, yeah, I like this better than most of the, like, new music that I've heard or, like, modern stuff that the college kids play on road trips and stuff, so.
0: Wow. No. Uh, I, I, have... I know. You I didn't have... expect. Yeah. You didn't expect. No, I did not expect that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's really exciting. It is. Uh, I am filled with E-Circle-Mo-Circle-Shun. <laughs> you this. just made me really happy. Uh... I was
2: thinking, though, like, it would be good driving music. It did feel like good driving music.
0: Yeah, uh, or as she said, um, her original title for this album was Music to Clean Your House To. Mm. Which I think, yeah, Yeah, it's about the same thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which I think really sums it up. Um, Yeah, and, you know, I like a lot of different kinds of music. So, you know, this isn't really the only thing, but, you know, it's definitely part of me. So it's part of me that I've now shared. Hooray! Nice. And I'm glad I could share it with all of you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. On that note, we will be back next week with actual baseball content. Too really exciting. Next week. Uh, next later. Week. Later next week, right? Yeah. Week and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, subscribe. In the, the future. <laughs> uh, and we are going to uh, make sure that it is before the standard draft for whatever it's worth. So we we do have a we do have a deadline in mind at least. Uh, you will be. Uh, you'll be ready to go by that Wednesday. So until then, again, uh, any questions that you have, send it to us at scoresheet at three Or scoresheet at Oh boy. Oh man. He I've given away our secret no. email <laughs> <and it was laughs> the exact, literal exact same place. <laughs> <laughs> well the that
1: score sheet the at dot is the right one because yes
0: it includes some of the bp guys like rob yes that, that's true yes yeah, score sheet at baseball perspectives.com and then you may get an answer from even some special guests um but until then on behalf of ben murphy and jared weiss i mean lefkowitz thanks again and have a great day